0: Thanks so much for coming. Uh, Really love to see you guys here and feel the energy in the room. And uh, our hope is that this is the first step in a long dance. Amen. Yeah, all right. Very good. Um, I want to open with a word of prayer. Would you like to pray? I'm happy to. Sure. Take it away. Just don't sing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord, you are good and your mercies endure forever. We thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness and allowing us to uh, gather here tonight. Um, Lord, I I suspect that some of us don't even exactly know all that will uh, happen or will be said or be accomplished, but we are trusting your spirit to guide us, to communicate uh, through us and among us. Thank you, Lord God, for Woodland Hills Church. Thank you for the Sanctuary Covenant Church. We pray, Lord, that you would be honored this evening as we have a conversation about your word and how you are working in the church. So let your will be done. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.
2: Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks. What we're going to do first is um, the way this will be set up is uh, I'm going to ask Vince to kind of share some of your experience Um, and uh, just talk around that. If uh, there's talk to be done around that, I might share something from my background. We really are unscripted here. You may have noticed, uh, but we want, we want to be flexible on this. Amen. Um, and so uh, in about 20 minutes or however long Dennis gets, coming to people, is he long-winded or is he brief? Is he? Yeah, there's not that many sanctuary people here, but I'm not that long-winded. Uh, what, like, what is a typical sermon? Thirty-five maybe. Oh, yeah. That's what I shoot for. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's his wrap
0: they're always telling me 35. I was only 10 over. you know. Uh, so I, I worry about me tonight, not not Dennis. Um, and then we'll take a little break, and at that point, uh, we have over there uh, some paper. And if you have questions that you would like to address, uh, both of us or one of us, uh, that pertains to the topic at hand, which is really a kingdom approach to racism and related topics like that. But we want to focus on a distinct kingdom kind of way of, of addressing this. Um, This is, I'm on a learning curve, I've been on a learning curve for about 15 years on this. Um, It's been an exciting, interesting, and challenging learning curve, but one of the things that has hit me more recently is that um, I I know that I can't really get on the inside of a person, of a non-white person. Uh, unless I have relationships with some, and I'm uh, going g- g- just letting each other in on the inside and seeing the world from their perspective and and all, uh, like that. It suddenly hit me that the same holds true for churches. Um, at Woodland Hills, this has been a front burner. racial reconciliation has been a front burner from from day one. Um, and we've made a lot of progress, I think, at least in some respects. Uh, When we first started uh, Woodland Hills, we had 300, I think, on our first service, and there was one person of color. Um, And after a year or so, preaching quite regularly, there was, I think, three. (laughs) Uh, take demographics each year, and last year, there was 22% were not white. So that's significant. But in other respects, we haven't made much progress at all. And it struck me that perhaps one of the reasons is that... um, our church as a whole isn 't related to another church as a whole that is more diverse than ourselves, um, and I at this point didn 't have any relationship really significant relationship with a person of color who is over a church like that. Now you and I know each other for you came into town and we had breakfast mm-hmm. in about 2012 four, Yep. for you know, four years. and um, I liked you, did you like me <laughs> <laughs>
1: I thought I asked for a second date, but I didn't get a call back.
0: <laughs> I thought you were dissing me. Uh, so, uh, but that but we, we with increasing frequency. In the last, yeah. last year, Amen. we're uh, uh, dealing more of a, a friendship. And so we started the discussion about what would it look like for these two churches to, you know, Enter into this—not just two individuals, but as churches. Yeah. And um, I shared a little bit of that with Woodland Hills uh, uh, this last weekend. You'll be sharing it sometime in the future. Yeah. And Amen. So thanks it's an exciting thing. So uh, tell us kind of your experience. Yeah. Well, first I want to say thank you, thanks to you, and thanks
1: to thank Woodland you. Hills for uh, for this for this night. I appreciate the journey that you've been on. I um, like 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 Pastor Greg said, it, I, this is unscripted, and I, there's so many things to, that I could talk about or so much, a lot of anecdotes, but a lot of you don't know me, and uh, some of you uh, know the sanctuary, and my predecessor, Pastor Ephraim Smith, many people know, so I think it might be, uh, and most people at the sanctuary know, I'm not Pastor Ephraim. That's been made very clear to me. And, um, but, um, but, uh, but that's okay. He's a lot smarter. Huh? Okay. <laughs>
0: this guy's got, you know, good
1: well, 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 that actually relates to not part that of that my story, down. see, so because a lot of times, I, I told my wife at one point, my wife Susan is down front, and I told, um, yep, so thanks. <laughs> I told her at one point, I said, shoot me if I ever work with white evangelicals again. And... Um, <laughs> we don't we don't own a gun so I don't know
0: but um you own some guns man (laughs) you wouldn't need a gun thanks
1: but I had felt so uh burned over the years and but I didn't want this to be about just personal anecdotes but but part of it is that journey in evangelicalism of finding out that you um you know you have similar beliefs about the scriptures at least with many people but um but the lens that we bring to the scriptures—at least there are those folks who admit that there is one that we do bring a lens—and then there's other people who don't. We just do it by the Bible, and um, and, and won't admit it. And I found that a lot of times in America, at least it's the dominant culture that thinks we're just doing it by the Bible, and and don't recognize that they bring a lens to things. So I have a, I have a lot of stories, but I'll just share a couple of things that were helping me to see this. <clears throat> so I'm a New Yorker. I grew up in New York. I'm a New Yorker who lives in Minnesota, and I am. Um, so I grew up, you know, in a real cross-section of people, but I also grew up in a time where busing was the experiment, right? So I got bused from my neighborhood to, to a white neighborhood for, um, for school, and that had its own set of issues that we could explore at some other time, but, but it did kind of expose me to a whole different world that I, um, you know, found that I didn't fit so well. But I was a good student, so I'm doing as well as these students, but I still didn't feel like I fit in to that world. But anyway, as I fast forward to my Christian experience in college and such and get to get to grow in my faith uh, there, I also uh, I started going to a campus ministry. It's actually how I met my wife. We, we, well, I got to know her better. We met in church, but we got to know each other better going to this campus ministry. But that was, you know, it was all it was led by white folks, and it was just a cultural... Disconnect, you know, the kind of songs we sang. We could probably have a whole night of, of making fun of the songs that were <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: that
1: were out in the 70s and um,
0: uh, the 80s. Was with guns and war. Oh, you remember got trampled
1: <clears throat> on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time yeah.
0: to change your mind. The sun is coming. You've, You've been, been left, left behind. behind. <laughs> that was one of them. <laughs> That's good. Stuff like that. And uh, anyway, but
1: we'd go to these meetings, and I couldn't get any of my black friends to come because they said, we just, we just don't do that, church like that. We just don't, you know, worship like that. And so part of it was a style thing. But then over time, I realized it was more of a, there was this, there was this perspective on life that, that, we, that was different. So I, the one quick anecdote that kind of says it to me is I used to speak a lot of Christian camps. And um, so my family would get to leave the city, and we'd go up to this camp, that, our den- that denomination I used to belong to had a camp, and for 10 summers in a row, we'd go up there. And I remember this this time, this guy who who was there, and I, I come in on a Saturday night uh, before it, the camp kicked off on Sunday. So some people don't know who the speaker is, you know, so you get there on Saturday night just having your meal as people are settling in. So uh, we I sat at a table with um, my family and this guy with a big American flag on his shirt and his – little kids with big American flags on their shirts and and I didn't want to typecast, I mean I'm just he doesn't know I'm the speaker but he starts talking and everything. Well during the course of the week he finds, you know, he I mean, find out the next day I'm the speaker so he's he's like intrigued and then part way through the week we have this long conversation and um... I just touched a little bit on race and and uh... and culture and stuff and but it really agitated him long story short he said to me you know he works really closely with the pastor of his church and and they had had a black family leave and and the fam- family on the way out the husband the father of that family said i don't need to be black to be i mean white to be a christian and he left, and this, this guy just couldn't understand that. And he said, we just do things according to the Bible, to the Bible. So I said to him, I said, well, you know, you probably got service at 11 in the morning. I said, is that in the Bible? I said, you're singing European hymns. Is that in the Bible? And so, I, but his, his mentality was, we're just doing things by the Bible. They couldn't see that there was this cultural baggage that he was bringing, or that the church had and shared. Um, comfortable for him, but not for the folks that were coming. So you know he was looking for me to address that, and I, and, I, and I, so that was my answer to him. But he was having a hard time with that. Um, at that very same camp, my second son, who's a musician, he's a drummer too. He's um. Uh, he, he was only about six at the time, and on our last day, we're packing up, and we're about to leave, and he uh, comes to the, to the cabin. He's all agitated, stomach hurting, and I'm um, like, what's going on? He said, I don't feel well, and as we get to it, he said there, there was a group of boys chasing him around camp on the last day. I said, well, why are they chasing you? And he said, because I'm black. He said, that's what they told me. He said, I asked them, why are you chasing me? They said, because you're black. And they just had targeted him and figured that they would just harass him. They were throwing rocks and chasing him around the camp. So I had to um, you know, speak to the parents and figure out what was going on. And, and, and you realize you know, that there was this mindset among folks that it wasn't, for some, that wasn't that big a deal. You know. Um, so I think when I would talk about race and class and power, uh, I just found that there were so many places where uh, white Christians, just didn't want to talk about it. It was, it was this ancillary issue, something way out there that maybe certain people need to be concerned about, but for the rest of us, we could just go business as usual. So I think one of the things that made it hard for me to even do a night like this, and there was a period of time I just wouldn't do it, is that I came away from those nights of these kinds of discussions with people feeling like I had done something wrong to share with them about the love of God. And uh, at least that's the way I saw it. <laughs> and, yeah. and about power and about the kingdom. And they saw it as if I was trying to hurt them. Um, so, um, so I was reluctant for a long time, you know, to enter into those discussions. So I, but, um, but I've just told you a couple of anecdotes. I think the essence of it is I feel like God has called my family, my wife and me particularly, to be in a ministry that tries to bridge uh, gaps and to um, bring people together. It's hard, though, and I often say, you know, bridge, bridges get walked on, and, and, um, and that happens. You know, even though we are bridges, I feel like we connect people, but, but it, it does take a toll, and um, because it hits right at the places where we live. It hits right at the issues of the decisions we make, where we live, where we'll send our kids to school, who will let our kids hang out with. I mean, let's just be real about it. When it comes down to I was at a church. I served on Capitol Hill for a few years in D.C. I didn't tell you all my story. I don't even know who I am, but I grew up in New York. I, I, uh, I got a degree in chemical engineering from Cornell, but I didn't work as a chemical engineer. I was a school teacher. I taught math and chemistry for years. And then, um, all right. Oh, yes. So then... Uh, then uh, then went to seminary, and then I planted a church in Brooklyn called New Community, Brooklyn, New York. That was an interesting experience that, you know, if we had more time, I'll tell you about it. But anyway, then moved to D.C., and I, I served the church in Capitol Hill for a few years. And that church had about um, a church of about 450. Uh, there were probably maybe 20 black people in the church. And they hired me, but when the senior pastor left, they didn't know what to do with me. A lot of people wanted me to be the lead pastor, so I became the lead pastor, but it caused a lot of friction. There were a lot of people in the church who couldn't see their lead pastor being different from them. And there, were, there was a lot of, a lot of uh, concern among abortion of those people. Um, and we had this night. We had a discussion where the parents were very clear that they didn't want their neighborhood kids in the same youth group as their kids. And we needed to figure out some way not to. And I said, how are you going to recognize a neighborhood kid? What, how are you going to know? And, and so they knew what I was thinking. so they said, well, Jonathan, that's my oldest son. They said, Jonathan can be in the youth group. I said, well, thanks. I mean, I, I work here. I was kind of... Oh, how nice of you. Yeah, I mean, I even said that. Thank you. I mean, I'm one of the pastors here. I was thinking that would be okay. But I said, but do you see how awkward that is to have this one black kid in the youth group? And they said, well, he can bring his friends. And, I, and, and it really was. I mean, these people honestly thought they were being extremely magnanimous to say Jonathan and his friend could be in this youth group, but we don't really want the neighborhood kids which was a euphemism i mean it's the black kids because we're in washington dc chocolate city but they just but most of these people lived in the uh, northern virginia suburbs so it was kind of a hard hard thing but when it came down to it as one of my seminary professors said the question is you know what color will my grandchildren be and for some people it was a really scary issue to think my kids are going to be hanging out with kids who don't come from my world that in my view is really the crux of it. That's a biblical issue, even though they want to admit that part. So, so my cynicism started to grow, I'll just be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit where I come from, but we kept, kept coming back to this call. So we planted another church in Washington called Peace Fellowship, and that's when I um, embraced my Anabaptist um, the- theological perspective. Yes. Right? I, um, I was ordained in the Mennonite church. And, you can't uh, shoot me, can you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> and, uh, and that church... Um, Is a is a a church for people from mixed background, income levels, and really was a good experience, although it was a taxing one. And I made the call, I took the call to come to the sanctuary, as you know, when I hit fifty, and I thought it would be a time for me to build into the next generation and uh, and to uh, to a a church that had already also had been on this similar journey of uh, racial uh, righteousness and justice and reconciliation. So that's a quick version of my story. The last thing I'll say, though, is that. one of the things that I've learned in this in this uh, discussion that we have is that there really is a it's, there's an issue of power, I think, that's happening. You know, I think that it's I've it's, already mentioned the lenses we bring, the, the cultural baggage that we have that we sometimes mask in spiritual language or think we're doing something biblically mm-hmm. when it's really just our own personal preferences. It's like it's like worship songs you know, that's the spiritual song, hymn is more spiritual, it's just what we like when it comes down to it, but but that's the thing, sometimes what happens when we have these um, conversations about race, but I also found that the thing that was happening was that I, I was seeing that there was a power issue happening, that folks in the majority culture did not want to share power, or didn't want to receive from somebody who didn't look like them, so the idea that somebody of color could teach them something seems strange, like, no. So what you do is you get the black preacher to, to sing and dance and entertain us, because black folks, that's what y'all do, right? I mean, you can, you can get, be an exciting preacher and really entertain folks, but, but when it comes to scholarly stuff, no, we gotta go to white folks for that, because after all, they're more intelligent. And that was the, that was the way I was treated. So I, I went on and got a PhD in biblical studies, but I still was treated like, well, you can come to certain things and talk about Certain kinds of topics or 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 um, preach for us, but the idea of actually teaching was for a long time it was hard for me to to have people respect that I had that kind of uh, calling or ability yeah, in yeah, my yeah. life so anyway so that 's a quick background of who I am, and I think it kind of frames a little bit where I come from. I think it might generate more questions than anything else, so feel free to fill out those cards in time. but I appreciate maybe you sharing can, that.
0: you can respond or but yeah. It, for one thing, it makes me a, a, more appreciative for you taking the risk uh, with us. Thank you. So uh, it's one thing I've learned, and you mentioned it uh, the last time we met, I think, mm. where uh, you know, I come to the table, and I'm not aware of bringing anything to the table, but you're aware I want to bring to the table. And, uh, and so that we have a table uh, where we, the, the goal here is to really manifest uh, the one new humanity created in Christ Jesus. Amen. But we don't, come, we don't come to the table manifesting that. Uh, you, you know, The table's already set, and set in my that's favor, right. you know? That's right. And the real di- the harm of that is that uh, a lot of white folks, maybe most white folks, inside and outside the church have no idea of that, because uh, they're their normal. That's and, right. I, I, and that, that's, right. that's well said. I think, one of the things, the best thing that happened to me on the learning curve, it was just uh, really, on an intellectual level, I think I knew that my normal is not the normal. But it's one thing to know something in your head. It's another thing to actually have it in your gut and, mm. and to live with that awareness. Yeah. Like, I, I was raised with a dad who was super progressive on everything. I mean, he was, uh, he, he thought, like, Edward Humphrey was way too conservative. <laughs> yeah, he would, he would vote Green Party. I mean, he was just, like, off the charts on that. And he was also progressive in a lot of ways. He, he, he was uh, um, the uh, first leader of the tire union, Uh, World Italian Mm -hmm. Union, to advocate for the inclusion of blacks. Mm -hmm. So he was, and I remember the time when he, uh, when Martin Luther King was shot. I was only, I think, 12 or 13, but he comes up, he was balling. And then a few hours later, his best friend, who was from Alabama, came over and had some weeds and said, I went and picked some uh, some flowers out to honor MLK. And my dad went, beep, 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 towards him. He, He was... And they, they they never spoke again. He was that mad, and I didn't know that that was odd. Oh. That, that that you know, like he was exceptional. But I don't recall him ever having a black friend. Mm. Uh, and it's one thing to have it. It's, mm. it's a sincere belief, but I think he was totally unaware of the dynamics that would yeah. be at play. You know, and and uh, it's I think that's how I grew up. I had mm. this in my head, but I had no idea what the cost would be, mm. what the challenge would be. Mm. <clears throat> and when' you're, when you're faced with that challenge, you have a decision to make yeah. you know are you going to humble yourself and acknowledge that you do interpret uh, you your map is not the territory hmm. um, and to humbly listen to another person 's map and get on the inside so you really understand and not just know about it through your grid but actually can get on the inside of that and that takes time and effort and uh, all of that, but it, you have to let go of some power yeah it's like and you didn 't even know you had the power until you get into an actual relationship, maybe bump one of the walls that they're always bumping into, but you don't even know about those walls because you never bumped into them. Yeah, amen. You know, so um, I, I appreciate uh, stepping yeah, out. Thank if, you. It meant uh, dying to a self-protective party. That would be understandable if it yeah. was there. Thanks. Well, okay, very good. Okay, so uh, let's take a five-minute break. We have coffee and cookies and little treats back there. The people in the front row, they'll be gone before you get there, so don't even try. <laughs> And then the uh, uh, paper for the for the questions and stuff are there. You can just fill it out and uh, put it in the bucket. And you might want to take one back with you, not the bucket, but the the cards that go in there, because a question might arise as we're um, re- re- responding to them. So five minutes. On mark said, "Go." Please write. I believe that I should take up an offering at the end of this uh, service because I just lost a a bet. (laughs) I have to buy Chipotle for our uh, celebration team, Uh, weekend celebration team, because we kind of devised this thing. And Mary, uh, I thought we'd be lucky on a beautiful June day to get 100 people out. She said, "No, we'll get up to 200. In fact, someone count this because it may be 199, and I can still pull this out." <laughs> okay. But I didn't think you were a legalist. Uh, <laughs> it, okay. it is when it comes to losing money. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's a 50 tab easy. So, anyways, no. So, so I, but yeah, it's worth it. I, I take this. This is nice for Amen. two Chipotle's <laughs> No, we're doing it. Okay, well, ready? All right.
2: So, are we on? Good. So here's the situation. Uh, we have till 8.20. Um, they're gonna try to be brief, which means Dennis will have no challenge, and Greg, are you ready, <laughs> pray <challenge>? for Greg. <laughs> I, I thought we are going to 9, nine o'clock. No. Really? It's close to 8.30, so at 8.20 will be the last question. We'll wrap things up at 8.30. A lot of great questions <laughs> have you come in. I'd like to encourage people to continue to bring questions. Um, because a lot of them are duplicates, and I'll try to group and, and make sure we get as, as broad a range of questions as we can. We have everything from the Bible to very, both the churches to just kind of society. So let's let's jump in here. Okay. Did God make a mistake when he made us, his people, different colors or races? I am a born-again spirit-filled, and I have known what it feels like to have people not accept me because I'm... Um, 100% uh, Native American. Well, no, God doesn't make
1: mistakes. That's an easy one to answer. But I do think, um, as um, as we've uh, kind of alluded to, that one of the sins of humanity is this. I don't know if you want to take it back to to the Tower of Babylon or what, but I mean, I just think there's this place where we have of uh, of uh, one of our sins is this need to to dominate. And, um, so I guess I would say that, you know, no, God didn't make a mistake, but one of the lessons that we're continually learning is what does it mean to live like, uh, people of the kingdom who, who, um, who are like Philippians two, which is the place I tend to go to all the time to have the attitude that was in Christ Jesus who didn't exploit his position of, as God uh, for any personal gain, but emptied himself. And he says, that's the way we're supposed to be. So I think we're on this journey of learning that as individuals and also as com- whole communities. So God didn't make a mistake, but we do see that there's this power thing. And, and the thing that, that I kind of have in the back of my mind is what does that mean when it's not here in America just the um, – you know a a white european kind of a domination it can happen anywhere of course right but we're dealing with our unique kind of set of circumstances here so i would say to whomever wrote that question that um i want to encourage you that that's not whatever you have felt and the the slight you felt is not the way of god but it's the way of godlessness and sinfulness and we need to revive uh, what god's ideal is which is to have us truly learn to love one another
0: Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah, in Christ, there's neither male and a female, a man and a free. Um, I, I, I tend to phrase it like this. I, I think it's a kind of a, a, a idolatry hmm. um, to, you know, to the degree that that we don't get our life and our worth and our significance and our security from Christ, we have to get it from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. We, that vacuum is not going to go away. And one of the all-time favorite idols is to get your get worth because of, of your tribe That's or right. your country or, right. or or your color or your habits and c- culture and all that. And to the degree that a you, you are getting away from that, you're going to c- come into conflict with everybody who uh, is not that. That's right. And that, I think, is at the root of all evil, and racism is a kind of evil. Yeah. It's a violence in, in the heart and the mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that good. was not, to that degree, we're not living out consistently the, the image of God. Yeah, I agree with that. I like the I- idolatry language. Yeah.
2: One. Okay. How is overcoming racism in the church different from overcoming racism in our society? After all, racism in the church looks a whole lot like racism everywhere else, doesn't it? Mm-hmm.
0: So why wouldn't the means be the same?
1: Yeah, I, you know, my stab at that has been that our our society, well, I think we, we feel it every four years when we go through this election cycle, but our society, that. You know, can legislate stuff, right? So it can legislate that we, we can sit in the same building, drink from the same fountains, you know, all of that stuff that we couldn't do under Jim Crow, right? So we can legislate it, but I obviously can't legislate what's in your heart. We can't. So so we're seeing now, you know, the kinds of things that happen when people feel the freedom to speak what's on their minds. And um, <laughs> I'm not
0: going to go down this road. Right? Edit, 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 edit. <laughs>
1: but, but my point, though, is that the rest of society can legislate things in many ways, You know, we, I mean, Dr. King's battle was partly, was partly for that, right? I mean, I, I was uh, a little younger when, um, when he uh, was... Two months, right? (laughs) No, no, I was seven, it was 68, so I was seven, I was just about to turn eight, and I remember uh, just seeing my teachers crying after this, um, and did not, understanding fully what was, what was happening, but I think part, so part of, of his pricking the conscience of America was to change legislation, Right. So we could have voting rights and such. But it was also to prick our hearts on what's the right thing. Right. I mean, it's the right what the right way to be is. And I think we're still at this place where. So the answer to that question more directly is our society can legislate. But it's the it's the it's the spirit of God that changes. So what what the church, the difference in the church is that we we it shouldn't even matter what society legislates. It shouldn't even matter that we have to live in a way that reflects a kingdom of values, regardless of what the society says. So, and, and Greg's already quoted. Uh, Pastor Greg's already quoted the verse that there's no male or female, slave or free, Jew Gentile. I mean, we're one, and so we need to live that oneness. So, so I think it looks different in terms of the of the source, <laughs> and it's also at the core, right? Because the society can make it look a certain way, but it's the it's the spirit of God that can make us be a certain way. So, I would say it like
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, one of the things I asked Dennis last year uh, to join me on it was this uh, paper that I read at this conference, and I wanted him to respond to it. Uh, and I think it's one of the primary ways that the way kingdom reconciliation looks is very different from the way it looks in the world. Uh, Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and dominions and authorities, Ta- referring to you know, cosmic agents, uh, part of the demonic realm. And they're always working to divide us in any possible way, whether you're talking about a marriage or a church or ethnicities, they're at work to play us off against one another. Uh, so that now we're, we're not shooting at them, we're shooting at each other. The minute we see someone as an enemy, well then I uh, will use whatever aggressive tactics necessary to you know, push you away or push you down. But in the kingdom, it ought to be the case that, that uh, if we're getting our life from Christ, we don't have to cling to our maps, uh, we don't have to cling to being right, we don't have to cling to... Thinking we need to make people impressed with us or something like that. No, it's, we get all of our life from Christ, so we can lay down our maps. And now we're even, even if there are very difficult challenges, and we're not understanding one another, and there's conflict in different ways. In the kingdom, we ought to be co- covenant together and say we commit that. However difficult this gets, you are not my enemy, and I'm not your enemy. And in making that covenant, now you're fighting the real enemy. And uh, um, it's just a fundamental difference. The other thing is that. When all you can do is legislate behavior or laws, how things look, what invariably happens is all the things that should be addressed, heart issues and things like that, don't get addressed. Um, And it can be the case in some cases, and I have been in environments where this happened, where people get so nervous, you know, that they might violate the rule or tick somebody off that they they don't talk about this issue at all. And they kind of just tiptoe around the rules, you know, I, I don't want to step on a rule But see, Jesus didn't die to give us a policy to make things look better so we could tolerate one another by tiptoeing around each other. Uh, He he wants to be a genuine one new humanity that genuinely loves each other.
2: Amen. I'm exhausted with uh, attending panels, lectures, protests, where rather than working on reducing real problems of educational, economic, social, racial inequalities, and I feel like... um, I have to spend the time convincing people these inequities even exist. Is that perhaps part of your reluctance to work with the evangelicals, yeah. I think, question two. you? Yeah. Also, when I attend these events, I become much more cognizant of my responsibility as a white person to shut up and listen. By doing that, I've heard from black folks that these events often make them feel like a problem that needs to be solved. How do we start to tackle these sorts of issues without making uh, black folks feel themselves to be the problem? Yeah. Wow, what a question! And that person managed to get that all in that card in a short amount of time. Two sides, two sides.
1: I am impressed. I am impressed because there's so much in there that I uh, that I resonate with. Um, uh, I mean, just a, a quick a quick thing. We were both talking when we we met last um, to talk about tonight. Uh, we talked about some of the fatigue that sets in when you talk about race, and especially in Christian context, because we do have this, this uh, God of niceness we serve that, um, and I've noticed in Minnesota it's like a big God of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, of niceness that we, we just can't, um, you know, we have to be careful. And uh, so, um, so we avoid things, and talk about our guns or something. But, but I do think there is... Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's, it's amazing how much I've, I've heard people talk about guns instead of love. You know, loving your enemies. It's amazing, because there's actually a verse about loving your enemies. I don't see any verse about guns, but it's just <laughs> remarkable to me.
0: But, um, don't get me going. I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, not you, right? So <laughs> I can use a gun but, sometimes and put it right here. You know?
1: <laughs> but the thing about what that person's getting at is this sense of, um, yeah, it does seem like we're a problem that needs to be solved, and then... I noticed that when I have, have had these conversations in, in mixed uh, con- uh, congregation, that white people feel like they're a problem that needs to be solved. And I don't know, I don't know an easy way around that. I don't know a way around those kind of feelings other than to acknowledge that I'm feeling a certain way, um, maybe that's just a good healthy thing to do. But I think at the end of the day, there's a certain um, reality about power that has, that I've said already, but has to be acknowledged. Um, you know, when the young white kid uh, just a year ago, right, went into the church and shot, shot people because it was a historic black church, and we all saw, saw that story and just been almost exactly one year, right, and it's been in the news again to talk about it. When the kid comes in to do that, you know, we, we as, as a society, you know, we get kind of worked up and then we right away figure, oh, it's got to be something else going on, you know, okay, he's mentally ill or so these things, but, but there was this sense that blackness presented a problem for him. And and uh, and he carried out an action that maybe others would never really actually do. So it took him to another place because of his issues, whatever. But there are a lot of people who hate us. So I don't know how we can avoid this sense of a problem, you know, the people being the problem, other than acknowledge what Greg said about um, principalities and powers that, that we are pitted against each other. So I don't know. That's a roundabout. Um, that's not even really an answer. I'm just kind of acknowledging I agree with what always been on that. What that person wrote in that paper, um, but I still think that there's a that, that if I value relationship, then I've got to kind of slog through till I figure out how to love. I mean, we do that in our marriages. We do that in our friendships. So. We need to figure this out as a church. But I, but I, but I want to acknowledge that I do, do think, from my perspective, that white Christianity has had the luxury, white Christians in America have had the luxury of not having to think that mm-hmm. through or work through those issues and can kind of retreat back to a place that says, well, I understand that those people down there might be wrestling with that, but we don't really have to do that. Right. And that's the piece that I kind of want to make sure I, get,
0: I say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um- one thing that occurred to me as a, one of the conferences I went to years ago on this, um, the person talked about white fatigue, or they, they just get tired of working on this. And the thing is, is that a white person can opt out. <laughs> you have no exit, and uh, that's where you, where you just got to live in that. Um, the other thing I want to add is that from from one of the things that I am concerned with is I imagine some have experienced this, but. White people can come to this, since they're sincere, but you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And they sort of make a project. Like, You'll be mm-hmm. my project, and uh, right. we're, I, I'm going to get reconciled with you. And, and it, I would think you get the sense yeah. of, and I've heard this from other folks, that it's like, I don't want to be someone's project. Indeed. If you want a relationship with me, have a relationship with me. Right. And that will maybe help you learn what you need to learn. But I don't want to be a little, you know, give pig. Yeah. You know that's a good one. It, it, back, remember years ago, when Promise Keepers was, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Thing? yeah we, we
1: a friend of mine, African American brother, he uh, he went to one of the big stadium events, and and uh, and he said we got to the crying time, is the way he put it, because he always gets to this place in the in the meetings where you know the men start crying, and and uh, and he said and it was the hugging time. So this guy was hugging him and saying he loved him, and and he said I don't even know this dude. And he said you know it's easy for you to hug me in the stadium. He said because when this is over, you're going to go. Your you know your separate way, mm. and there there was this sense of um, maybe it was cathartic for that guy to cry and all of this, but but it did make it feel like for my friend like there was a project, and I've had that happen to me, and I've I've not wanted, it, which is another reason why I've not wanted to enter into some of these conversations, mm. because I do feel like I'm I'm I've uh, I used to say I'm an apostle to white people because there was this sense that that I was supposed to um, manage their fears in some way, and I thought why did I feel like it's my job to manage you know, white people's fears, but I, but I was finding myself in those spaces. So if I said something that made them angry or harsh then somehow I had to, you know, apologize for that. Um, um, so there's been, mm-hmm. so, so anyway, I kind of, that made me think about that when I was uh, hearing your response, but mm-hmm. I'll just stop there and go to another <laughs> well,
0: question. Let me just say this, uh, it, mm-hmm. if at any point you feel like that, you yeah. begin to feel like that, uh, we trust that my heart's in the right place, and, yeah, indeed. And, and name it. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, and I think that's the advantage of a relationship, of, of, as opposed to project, is that you can you can have those kind of honest conversations. So yeah. yeah, thank you, Greg. I think speaking the truth is everything.
2: I've got a, a few a nest of questions that are all sort of around the same thing. So I'll read read two, and just kind of a, a several others as well. Um, I try to avoid controversial issues with extended family and friends, especially in this political climate. How do I know when to keep my mouth shut and when to speak up around these sorts of issues in a family context? Another question. Um, how can you call out or address someone who is being racist in a loving way? Uh, Facebook is rampant with it. You can't be a racist in a loving way. <laughs> 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 I was kidding. Thanks for that help. Boom, ching. <laughs> so,
1: so for that first part, you know what did Jesus say? He says... Uh, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. And he says that Metaphorically. Uh, for sure. Yeah. But the metaphor was yeah, I related know, to exactly, family, exactly. right? To uh, family. Uh, that that there's this wedge that gets created sure. when your allegiance is with, with Christ. So it's a metaphorical sword. I I I co-sign on that one. But the um but but in that person's question that there's uh, that yeah. the that the fear it sounds like behind mm-hmm. the question is that I'm gonna alienate potentially alienate some family members by taking a stand for what I believe in my heart is right. So I'm going to say take a stand for what you believe in your heart is right and, uh, and understand that there may be some alienation. But, but I don't say that cavalierly. I understand. I mean, I've, I've had black people mad at me for trying to do the work of reconciliation. Because in one sense, we, we feel like when, when we get into these spaces, and I say we, I can't speak for every black person, of course, but, but in, in circles I've been in, we feel like once we get to this place where we say we're going to be together and we're going to, it really means... I'm still going to get whitewashed. It's still going to be that there'll be this overwhelming number of white people who want to want to be reconciled, but that means I'm going to have to give up more than they'll have to give up. So, so there's a fear that something about our culture is going to get diminished and all for the mm. sake of that, and our culture was already feeling diminished and, and marginalized and alien. So, so there's this difficulty of entering into that space. So calling stuff out does mean that even when I, when I hear <laughs> a hateful... Uh, comment in in my black circles toward white people. I need to call that out. But when I see people um, uh, doing the same on the other side, I need to call it out. I, I feel that way with sexist comments. I mean, I feel like I need to call it out. Go, Facebook's not the forum. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. But but I do think that. Um, but when you're at the table and and you have those conversations, when I mean, we know the right thing to do, I think we just we have to do it.
0: Now, do you think um, that take take? Somebody call him Bill, um, and his grandmother is a racist. Mm. Uh, are you suggesting that he should always be pointing that out to her? I mean, is well, there some room to knowing what the person's like, and you know, we just accept them as they are, mm. or? Well, I, I,
1: mean, I'm not saying he should stop loving his grandmother, but I am saying that um, there may, well, it's it's like with anybody. We teach people at a pl- at where they are to get them to another place. So when my three year old asks me where babies come from, it's a different answer than maybe if a 10 year old was asking me about it. So, so I, th- I think it'd be a different answer. So I, um, so I think I want, <laughs> I b- hope it'd be. <laughs> yeah. So I think I want my answers to, or my, my interactions to be appropriate to where that person is, but I don't think I want to just let it go.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if you've addressed it before and mm. uh, you know, maybe it's the kind of thing. I mean, you, there is a scale there. How much you accommodate yeah. you know, and how much you keep pushing. Yeah. Um, I, I just wonder if there's ever a point where you, you come to the conclusion this is just the way she is. Uh, there's mm-hmm. not going to be a change there. And then maybe then all we can do is pray for him.
1: Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I, I think I'm a little reluctant to go there, maybe yeah. because I feel like um, that that happens too much, uh, that there's a okay. sense of, oh, I don't want to go there. You know, that's who they are. I'm just yeah. going to let yeah. it go. And so, But, you know, for Bill's grandmother, I don't know. You know, I don't know if it's going to set her over the edge. So I don't want to, mm. I don't want
2: to,
1: <laughs> I don't want to hurt, hurt her, but she'll, she'll the, get the gun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I do think that there may be a loving way to, to try to get her to, to look at stuff mm. a little bit differently. So I think that those interactions yeah. can be those places. I, a friend I mean, of mine uh,
0: uh, had a grandma. just died last year. Mm. Uh, but, uh, she was a full fledged Nazi to the bitter end. And she was a miserable, bitter woman. But, uh, they hated to be around her because she would always mm. spout out anti-Semitic stuff. But he felt like out of love, he was called to keep on. Uh, he was loving her, mm. even though he gave up trying to mm. talk to her about it. They'd had fights. Mm. I, I just yeah. Uh, that'd be,
1: I mean, I, I can't speak for each individual uh, circumstance, uh, but. I, uh, I I kind of would hope at least there be some kind of pricking of conscience. Well, you're right.
0: I, I think the more much more common uh, approach is just uh, especially in Minnesota. We like niceness and peaceness, and don't go out of your way to cause conflict. You know, you, you know, if you push that button, the Christmas is going to be ruined. So, we're we're good at not pushing the button. Yeah. Okay, there then.
2: <laughs> <laughs> don't you know what kind of examples have you seen in your congregations that have allowed? People's lives to collide in a natural way so that friendships across races are formed. First question, another one similar. With the goal of combining many walks of life together under the dominion of Jesus, how does your unique leadership vision plan to move individuals from where they are comfortable to a place where differences are celebrated and necessary to move forward together in Jesus? The million-dollar question. Yeah, amen. I think it's yeah,
1: the strategy part. Um, when, I, when I had a smaller congregation in D.C., I, I, one of the stories I often tell is about a couple. The husband was a, a partner in a law firm, and I didn't know at the time all it meant to make partner, so he was a pretty big deal at his law firm. And uh, and there was a couple that lived in the, uh, in the housing project around the corner from where we lived, and uh, these are people whose lives would never, never have reason to... Collide, and um, but because of the church, it there was wonderful opportunity, and they developed an interesting friendship, going to each other's house for food. And I remember, anyway, them sharing stories of the things that they made for each other. Um, um, there was there was a an honest attempt for them to relate as much as they could as as sisters and brothers in Christ, even though their worlds were very different. I mean well educated lawyer and nurse practitioner and a guy who's just you know, hustling day to day to make a living and not to see these folks as just a source of money and not to see these folks as a project like you said, but to have them sit down at the common table so I think that there was our church was a, was trying to create those opportunities to our small groups and such for for that to happen in our current ministry. I think it happens because we've tried to make small groups more of a of a, a organic in, in, integral part of uh, of our ministry and not uh, just um, you know an optional thing, but it's, it's taking time to catch on more. But that's kind of how I've seen it. I've seen it in smaller contexts, because in the bigger context, of course, we can hide. We can come in. We can just smooth or do what we do and then leave. But in those kind of contexts, you have to share ideas and feelings and thoughts. And, and um, so I, I, I'm a big fan of small groups for those reasons where genuine relationships can can start to be formed. Uh, in my smaller churches, when I was a church planter, we actually orchestrated the groups because we wanted to uh, to uh, have the groups be mixed with people from different places, different backgrounds, not just ge- geographically, but different places in life. Um, so we orchestrated that. We don't do that at the sanctuary, but, but it was deliberately to try to make these kinds of uh, connections happen.
0: We had a similar thing. Where- a uh, number of years, was it four or five years ago? compassion. My, my sense of time is so jacked. Uh, you could tell me I'm five and I believe you. 2010. Uh, 2010, yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and we went through a kind of a six-week period of having that. It was, it, it was more focused on socioeconomic differences, but we knew mm-hmm. that that would also pick up yeah. a lot of the, the uh, ethnic differences. In uh, our experience, that that series that we did, was really helpful on on doing some things mm-hmm. uh, here, like it opened the door for us to be partnering with all these ministries mm-hmm. uh, had in the building here. Yeah. But I don't know if it had any long-term effect. And mm-hmm. and that that's the that, that's the more challenging thing. We're always encouraging folks to build bridges with people uh, right. who are, look different than them or whatever. Right. Um, and I I suppose some people actually do that. It's wonderful when something you preach actually was heard and it's translated. But You know right. the statistics on that. So. Um, uh, we're constantly asking, you know. Our small groups didn't have that effect either. Mm. Uh, I think we weren't an, intentional enough about making those diverse. Uh, but when you force something, it's kind of like the law. Okay, though, you know, yeah. the law might change, but it, does it really yeah. go deep enough to be in your heart? Well, one thing, well, well, this probably should be talked about. <clears throat> yeah. Be quiet before it goes public, but I've never listened to that rule before. So. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> So, some folks after the message this last weekend had, mm-hmm. had uh, this idea that what if we had the only analogy I have is like matchmaking, where where mm-hmm. uh, y- y- you want to uh, intentionally align your heart and life with the kingdom more than it is now, and building uh, relationships with yeah. people who are a different ethnicity than yourself is a good way to do it. So, what if you had the folks who like some of, some of our folks says it's, it's never convenient to meet people of color because I live out in the suburbs and yeah. Yeah. and you know, there's not many. Uh, not white people out there. But what if we had, like, a, a site or some kind of mystery where if you want to meet somebody, just have dinner together, uh, and they want to meet uh, someone to have dinner together, we set up the site or something, and oh. then... It's just dinner, huh? Okay. <laughs> so. You got to start somewhere. <laughs> Hug at first sight. I just love you. I'm a nice one. <laughs> just dinner, huh? <laughs> so, anyway, we'll we'll talk about yeah, it. I yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But that's...
1: But I, that yeah. is the key
0: because if if, yeah. if you don't get on the inside of the map, you, you... well, you know, I
1: think the thing there is, there's got to be some way. I mean, what we're talking about, I think we're we're saying there's a place down here, right? I mean, it's a hard place, because the up here stuff we've seen, it. some of us have been around long enough that the up up here stuff was, well, let's just get that choir to come over to sing at our church, or let's have a uh, soul food yeah. night yeah. or something, you know? And we have <laughs> so, these kind of uh, <laughs> these kind of funny veneer of of Cross-culturalness, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean, and exactly. it sort of uh, it becomes this this um, mechanized thing that uh, that allows us to say we had a certain experience, and so we're not talking that. I don't I don't think Greg and I are at that place. We're talking about what is it? So I so I know for some people it means okay, let's let's change the music, or I mean, and some of those things are important. But I my my thing is that it, it should be born out of of who you are, so the reality of it is, it's, it's sharing power, right? So, I mean, I'll, I'll say it, I don't know if, if Pastor Mike is here as a member of my team. Mike, are you here? I know he said he was gonna to try to make it, but okay, he's not here. But when I, when I, um, we invited Mike to be on the team, Mike is white, and uh, and there was some pushback when, um, when Mike was uh, invited on the team because uh, some people thought that all of our, our staff should, the pastors should all be African American. And um, I didn't know that that was an understanding people had. But one of the things that we felt was happening was that Mike, as this white guy, was showing you know, his deference to uh, an African-American leader, which we felt sent a really interesting and important message. So there was something about the sharing this power now that that was being communicated rather than a veneer of let's sing this black song, this white song, and let's eat this food and that food. It was more let's let's be something, let's share something, and in our relationship hopefully we model something that's helpful. So I think that that kind of can start to happen on the church level because People are not coming to your church just because you sing a certain way. They might come and check you out for that reason. At the sanctuary, that's how we were. I mean, we got a really great band, and people come because the music is really good at, at first. But then there's a question of, well, why should I stay? And And the question, why should I stay, is going to be more about... The loving relationships that I can develop and people who are going to welcome me no matter where I come from, that's the thing that's going to... So I don't know if you can program that, I guess, Mm. because I was hearing something in a question about what can a church, you know, practical things. Mm. You can't program that, right? Right. At least I don't think so. But you can share power, you can model something, and you can create a loving atmosphere, I believe, that... So, for that person who's alienated, so here, here's, here's one quick uh, anecdote. When my wife and I, this before I knew I was going to be a pastor or anything, I'm a school teacher, but I, somebody told me that the Lord was calling me to ministry and I need to pay attention, but I wasn't paying attention. Anyway, we're living in Brooklyn, don't have a car, we're very broke. This is a whole other story, but so we need to find a church we could walk to. And uh, so we go to the phone book, and we're looking at churches, and we don't know anything about denominations, but we had heard of evangelical free. We had heard of that. And there were two evangelical free churches. And I I used to listen to Chuck Swindoll on the radio. So I'm like, okay, I heard of that. I heard of him. So we decided to walk to this evangelical free church. But the week before, well, I should put it in context. The week before, we walked to a Baptist church. We had heard of Baptists, but we didn't know there were so many different kinds of Baptists. But we walked to this Baptist church. And when we got there, this is in Brooklyn, but we walked underneath a highway underpass. And when we walked under that underpass, the whole neighborhood was, was so different. And we walked and we got to this church, this white church, and the pastor was preaching about secular humanism and Walter Mondale, it was 1984, and he was all worked up about that. And we were the only black people there. And then there were posters on the wall for, for a Christian college, Bob Jones University. So I'm like Run. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, But I I'm, but I'm, I'm know nothing at that stage. I mean, I don't know anything, but I'm taking it all in and I'm saying, this is an interesting experience. Let's visit someplace else next week. So, because so, we, we didn't feel particularly welcome there. It was a very kind of awkward vibe. Well, the next week we go to this church, and there's, there's an English sign, a sign that I thought was German, but it was Norwegian, and then a Korean sign, all in the same. So I remember saying to my wife as we stood there with our little baby in our arms, and I, and I said, um, well, they seem to be open to different kinds of people. And the, me- so th- the message that was said to me was, these different languages were saying to me, maybe there's a place here for me, and I didn't listen to a song or anything. It was the, it was the message was communicated in, the, in that you respected diversity. I didn't know they rented to the Koreans. I didn't know that the, the Norwegian congregation was just simply the parents of the well, English yeah. congregation. It was, but the pastor of the English department reached out to us and it was his love that kept us going there for months and then sent me off to seminary. So it was that relationship, even though I couldn't take the songs, it was just such a, I mean, we were out of that church in an hour. I never had church like that. And, um, <laughs> but, I mean, I went to church, we went three hours, um, and that was just the one service. And, um, but my point though was that it was the love that he showed to us that made me feel like, let me give this a chance. And, and it led to, you know, he's still my, my pastor friend 30 years, 32 years later. So um, that, that's, that's what meant something to me more than what songs they sang or any of
2: that kind of stuff. Where do you think um, most white people are at on white privilege today? Should it be something for them to understand? Yes.
0: Uh, you don't know what you don't know. And, and so the way I can conceive of it is like this. Right now. Um. This is one way of framing this. Is like we hear all the time that this is the land of equal opportunity. Um, a white person said that uh, because uh, it's like there's layers, you know, and depending on what group you are, depending on what town you live in, it will differ. But there is a hierarchy here, and and there. White folks in this country was conquered by white people and taken over by white people and structured for white people. So that, that puts you on this top tier. You know, you, you're you the owner. And and the, there's other layers beneath that. And those layers all have, like, obstacles that, that are put there because of the white structure. And so you bump into them. You know, it could be anything. I remember the day my daughter-in-law came home when she was dating her, no, my daughter. Now he's my son-in-law. Uh... And they were dating, and there's outside of the restaurant in Grand, uh, forget what it's called, The Onion. And that doesn't matter. But, uh, so they're, they're sitting there. It's 9 or 10 at night, and they're just talking. You know, They're engaged, and they're having a good discussion. And all of a sudden, a policeman pulls, walks up to the car and knocks in the window and says, um, ma'am, are you okay? Referring to uh, my daughter, are you okay? He goes, yeah. And He pauses kind of and says, are you really okay? <laughs> and, and she's like, yeah, I'm fine. And he asked a third time. Actually, she said she went, oh, walked away for a little bit, and then he came back. And then he had his flashlight, and he said, are you really okay? And then he was like shining his flashlight in the car looking for something. Then he has my son-in-law get out of the car. He says, go stay at the back of the car. And then is says my daughter, are you really Okay. Hey, tell me now and I can and then my daughter started to lose it because she realized what was going on fourth time and and so she starts to get really mad well hey my son-in-law comes over and has to shut her up shut up just shut up because you know, he knows where this might go um, well see that's 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 what happens on layer number two or layer number three I, it would never happen to me I'm convinced there's no probable cause for anything other than as he described it it's it's DWB uh, driving while black um, and so that, 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 that opened Denae's eyes to kind of what the reality of things. So uh, but the thing is, is, if you're on the top tier, you don't bump into those things. And, and, uh, and so it's easy to say this is a land of equal opportunity because for you it has been like that. And you won't know, you won't know any different unless you know some of the folks on the lower tiers, you know, and, and enough to trust them. It's like I remember, uh, this is probably oh, a number of years ago, um, there was a, on, on uh, this Christian radio station, it was a call-in station, and they were discussing the legitimacy or not of this study that was done, uh, I think by the University of Minnesota, on uh, why it is that, uh, uh, this is like 97, uh, uh, black male is, I think it was 17% more likely, no, it was like 27 times more likely than a white person to be pulled over. Mm-hmm. And every call in was like, That's, they're just playing the race card because you know, they don't want to get tickets. And, and they're, all, they're hostile. And you could t- tell, voice inflex that they're probably white. Then one person a color comes in and says, well, you know, I, I've been pulled over eight times in the last four years, and I, I have a perfect record. <laughs> uh, they just pulled me over to question me for stuff. And... Then he, the follow-up calls were even angrier. I yeah, explained the race card. The thing is, if you're white, how would you know whether it's legitimate or not? Because you're exactly the person who wouldn't happen to. Only if you have relationships with people for whom it does happen, and the relationships are deep enough so they're trustworthy, can you get out of your white zone and begin to see a different world, a different world that some folks live in. So I, I think waking up to that is like the most important thing because only then do you have the chance to put down the power. You won't put it down if you don't know you have it. It's like I hear so many times, every time I preach on this with passion, and I kind of get passionate about it, because it, it is freeing. It's really freeing once, once you realize, oh, you know, my, my normal is not the, the, the only normal. But uh, I, I get the folks saying, like you said at the very beginning, they'll say, I always talk about white, the myopic white perspective. We all have a myopic thing based on our grid, our map, and all that. And, and whenever I talk about that, I get responses saying, I don't have a white perspective. That's liberal talk. Uh, that, that's PC talk. I don't have a white perspective. I just see things as they are. And I say, well, that is the white perspective.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and, and waking up to that is, is the all-important thing. Hmm. But it, it, I doubt you can get that from a book or anything like that. It, yeah. it takes genuine relationships.
1: Yeah, I, um, yeah, I was uh, kind of reluctant. I, I was thinking about the, um, you know, I've, I've watched so many discussions where, um, where this term privilege comes up, and white people start freaking out, and you know, you know I'm I, my family was poor, and we didn't have. So, what do you mean privilege? And so, so we, so we start to trade, you know, anecdotes about who's had it worse, and and um, <laughs> and and forget some of the bigger picture. So, so uh, you know, when when uh, when the book by Michael Emerson and uh, Rice came out, a uh, Smith um, came out several years ago, uh, divided by faith. I highly recommend. Uh, it, 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 they pointed out how, for you know, evangelicals, particularly well, American evangelicals, particularly white evangelicals, how we we reduce everything to this personal narrative, right? So everything is about well, my family didn't own slaves, so what do I need to think about slaves before? Or or I don't hate you know that black person, so why do I need to uh, wrestle with these things? And 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 wasn't and and so largely because we talk about our faith in such individualistic ways and think of our relationship with god in these purely individualistic terms we've had we have a hard time thinking about systemic issues and and, and uh, so this notion of privilege sounds for some so personal and they think well i have a hard life you know what do you mean uh they that they lose sight or can't see that bigger that bigger picture so i've i know that that happens and sometimes it's Frustrating for me that that I you know I get tired of it. I admit I, I have some I have had some of that fatigue, but I'll mention another book. yet. it just came out. called it's very short, easy. It's called "Pondering Privilege," a woman that I know. So I wrote the um, blurb for it um, in there, but uh, by a woman named Jody Wiley Fernando, and um, it's a really, it's really a helpful tool, I, I think, because she's she doesn't come at it with uh, the, you know, there's not a sense of um, of um, self-righteousness. You know, there's a nice, h- humble spirit to be able to address such issues and hopefully g- help people where they are. So I'll just recommend that.
0: Yeah, you know, if you're thinking indiv- individualistically, um, then then you, 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 actually re- redo and you can't see the system, then you reduce everything down to that individual. And that is in part why um, so many uh, white folks will say, well, Stop doing that or, or you know, stop committing crime or don't run away from family. And, and since you've, uh, you don't see the systems, the history, the factors that have gone into this, right. the only thing that's left is race. Right. I guess black people must like to go to prison. I guess black it, – it's all right. reduced to that in, individual behavior. Right. Uh, and that's where you've got to zoom out and realize there, there's powers that we're fighting right. against. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Not like an individual is going to change without that.
2: Amen. A lot of a lot of great questions that come from and around Scripture in particular, but this one sort of opens it up for you guys. Are there any examples or teachings in the life of Jesus that especially speak to you on the issue of reconciliation? There are many. I am, um, you know, I,
1: I well, I I often go to the what's said about Jesus as opposed to the life of Jesus. I always go to Philippians too, as I mentioned earlier. It's just one of my favorite places to think about having power and not be, uh, exploiting with it i just find that a powerful remarkable lesson for us so i go there i guess for me though it's the it's the um is is jesus comfort with um with folks who were on the margins mm. that often also speaks to me I mean, we, we have, we've framed this discussion around race, and often, of course, the, the black-white uh, paradigm starts to serve for our other, just like the Jew-Gentile paradigm serves for other. So I don't, I don't apologize it for it being black and white, but I do recognize that it serves for other, mm-hmm. um, other connections. But I also think in terms of sexism, I've noticed that there have been times when people will defer to me before my woman colleague, you know, uh, Pastor Rose on staff. Now, Rose is younger, but at the same time, she's a pastor, has a calling, but I've noticed, and not just that relationship, but other places too, so I feel like it's my job to sort of um, you know, uh, deal, deal with that and adjust to that, so, so one of my, watching G- how Jesus is related to women, as well as to other folks on the margin, governs my life in terms of, at least I hope it does, in terms of my relationship in those kinds of areas. Um, mm-hmm. In, in class, race, and 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 sex or gender um, uh, relationships. So I would say it wasn't, it wasn't one
0: particular episode in the life of Jesus, but Philippians two stands out for me. You know, if you read uh, Jesus in his historical context, um, some of the stuff that looks kind of just the to us is actually really significant because it's so countercultural at the time. So you know, like the way Jesus held up uh, like the, the story of the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, The Jews despise Samaritans, Uh, just hate them worse than Gentiles. But Jesus makes this guy, uh, Luke 15, out to be a hero, or Luke Luke 10, I guess it is, Uh, Uh out to be a hero, and disses two priests on the way doing it, two Mm -hmm. Jewish priests. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first time that that folks wanted to murder Jesus, it was because he was in his hometown, and he uh, set up to read from from Scripture, read Isaiah 61. Uh, You know, this is the year of the Lord, and he came to set the captives free and all that. Well, the people were enraged because he then told two stories which involves two Old Testament heroes, Elijah and I forget the other one. You, uh, I'm not sure where you're going. Like, okay, it's Luke 4. But mm-hmm. he, it, it's their stories where a Jewish prophet walked past all these oh, other yeah. Jewish folks to minister to a, a, a non-Jewish person, a Gentile. And they were enraged because, um, among other things, Jesus had just read from Isaiah. And he read the whole passage just as it was, but he left off the last clause where he says when the Lord returns, he'll, he'll you know, heal the, the blind and set the captives free. Um, but he, did, he left off the last clause, which was, and bring vengeance against your enemies. And, you know, they wanted to get their enemies to get their due, and the enemies were the Romans uh, who were ruling over them. And so this was a, an affirmation of the Romans. It was an affirmation that don't think that you're in first place or God's the only, only one that God cares about. In fact, here, another blessing, but... Uh, um, yeah, you push my button. I got to go. Uh, it, 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 everyone at the time of Jesus was talking about the land, you know, mm. Israel, the nation, God's one holy nation. And if every nation had a right to think that it was special before God, it, it was the Jewish nation. Mm. But while everyone else was talking about the land and those nasty Romans who are you know, uh, occupying our land, uh, Jesus never once talks about it, never once talks about it. What he does say, however, is that you'll see people come from the east and from the west. To now join in this covenant that God's people had 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 with with Yahweh, it's just now it's going to include everybody. And so there's a lot of things like that that he did that were just radically countercultural. When you understand uh, the immediate
2: context, amen. We have a number of questions that uh, all. No problem.
0: You've got two minutes left.
2: Yeah, no problem. Can we extend till midnight? I'm game. A number of questions that are kind of centered around the question of this potential relationship between our two Mm. churches. Mm. So let me just kind of, a few, um, love the idea of our churches spending more uh, time together, speak a bit more about how you could see this happening. Another question, how can our churches collaborate, and what do you, could imagine a timeline? Here's an interesting one. Um, How do we know that this whole thing, being intentional about racial diversity with our two churches, et cetera, isn't going to fizzle out? Wooden Hills has done intentional panels like this before, but eventually fizzled out, leaving people like us disappointed and dismayed. Mm. Greg?
0: <laughs> I, I call him my best friend, so how so desperate I am um, uh, well, look at that that's where one of the things that we uh, wanted to do uh we, we could just have a service deal. hey, let's go worship together um but Oh, I can't think of another analogy. Than that's like having sex before marriage. Uh, it, it, it's, it's putting the cart before the horse. <laughs> what? We're all adults. Either we're all adults or we have kids who are too young to understand. Yeah. I just discern that truth. Man. Well, okay, you're, you're celebrating. The analogy works. You're celebrating. I get, I, I, we get it. Okay. It's like, no, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so, because so, that, that would be fun and nice, but it'd be kind of a veneer, and a lot of people go, you know, wait, whether they know it or not, but they're thinking, gosh, that, would, yay, we're for reconciliation, um, and we, we thought there, there has to be, there's steps we have to take to get, to earn the right to do that, just like with sex, I say so, um, and, and we don't have a timeline, or, you know, I think we're going to be talking a lot more about yeah. this, but we talked about you know, the next step might be to invite uh, fo- folks on both our staffs to come together, and they build relationships. They, you know, talk through the issues, uh, maybe exchange worship teams, exchange pulpits, um, and, you know, just kind of start doing the one church thing. W- w- what's easy to let go of is when you have a, a celebration. We've done that before. You have a celebration. Yay! Offer reconciliation uh, or whatever, but... Uh, um, then nothing, else, it, nothing happens after that because it takes work. It takes time. Yeah. And uh, and so if we have buy-in on both, that's one of the reasons why I really f- believe that a white church, predominantly white church, 78% white church, can't hope to make significant difference uh, unless we have, uh, are partnering with another a um, uh, more, uh, have a white minority, uh, and, and walk together with this. Because um, we always have the option of, of just going out and, and He's going to kick my behind if we do that. <laughs> and he's bigger than me, so he probably could, <laughs> even though we're both pacifists. So, uh, yeah, I think that yeah. this is one important thing that we've been missing. Yeah, I mean, I,
1: I to be honest, it's, it's just the beginning of a journey, so I don't know really how to answer that question other than to say I, I do want to just start some steps with my team, with our board, and talk about what, what it could look like because we also don't, we we have our own uh, sort of uh, delicate level of relationships you know within the congregation trying to live out something um so so for us but we also believe that we can learn from you all and and grow in some way um you've ahead of us in many ways and uh and there might be something that we can learn and grow from you guys you know with with you all so so I, I'm just, but we're still at a place of exploring. But that person's the last part of that question about sustainability. I'm, I'm, I'm that kind of a person. I don't like to quit stuff. I don't like to give up stuff. So, yeah, so, so, so the sustainable part is important for me too. So that's one of the questions that we will continue to be looking at.
2: Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we have to wrap yeah, it up. If here. you guys want to kind of close it, so sure. many good questions. Yeah. First conversation, but um, thank yeah you for, for i I thank course. you for for coming that's uh, yeah, thank you
0: so much for, well, for being willing to jump on uh, this bandwagon and thank you um you know push through your understandable uh distrust and hurt uh to enter into this and uh just keep all, us all in prayer on this you know that we get discernment uh, you know one thing occurred to me and uh, we had years ago you know Ephraim was a regular at a church mm-hmm. and he and I and several others had really close relationships with him mm-hmm. so we ended up uh helping supporting the, uh, the covenant church when it was yeah. first start, starting yeah. um and uh we, we just kind of had an understanding this is a kind of a, a sister church of ours mm-hmm. um and I never recall being released from that we really mm-hmm. felt called to do this and I I don't remember ever getting released from that mm-hmm. but um after Ephraim left, it's kind of like it fell off the radar screen, and mm. it wasn't until you called it, got back on the radar So, so thanks for that. Thank and, you. Uh, thank you. Just love you, brother. Thank you, brother. Are you got to close the prayer? Mm. Uh, I opened. You closed. Oh, yeah.
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> okay. Good. Uh, uh, thanks. <laughs> you got your quote already for prayer? <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> Father, uh, I, I just thank you so much for, mm. for this brother um, you, and uh, what you're doing in his ministry and mm-hmm. what you're doing in our ministry. and what well, you see to be growing between our ministries. Hmm. Uh, and we just want to submit that to you. Um, we're not going to try to control this. We hmm. just want to work, walk in step with you, download your wisdom on us. Yes. Always be changing uh, hearts and um, hmm. forging relationships between different families, different individuals. Um, uh, we, God, we just want to uh, become a people who reflect your, your, your character in all of our relationships, who can be modeled to the world uh, what the church has all too rarely done, and that is uh, the vision of the kingdom mm. and all of its beautiful diversity, yes. the vision of the kingdom where all elements of Babel have been reversed. Thank you, Lord. The, 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 the vision Jesus. of the kingdom where uh, facades are put aside mm. and mm. F- folks are able to step out of Minnesota nice in love mm. and speak the truth in love and mm. thereby grow in and, and their understanding of themselves and others. We just want to give this to you, mm. um, of the covenant that will follow where, wherever you lead. Yes, Lord. And bless all these folks on the way home. Keep them safe. Keep growing the kingdom in their Amen. minds, hearts, and lives. In Jesus' name, and all God's people. Said, yes, Lord. Amen. 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 Thanks so much, you guys. Amen. Amen. Thank Stay you. tuned. Yeah. Thank you, man. I